Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. To Focus Today, I'm your host, Perry Atkinson, and I'm always delighted when we have a chance to sit down and talk to Brad Dacus. He's the president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Brad and his team are literally all over the country doing great work, and I encourage you to go to their website, check out what they're doing, and support them, pacificjustice.org. These are frontline warriors, and they're out there doing a great work. Brother Brad, good to see you, friend. How are you? Oh, doing great, Perry. Thanks for letting me be on the program. I appreciate it. You bet. Hey, by the way, are you going to beat the NRB next week? Yes, I am. And uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully connecting with you while I'm there. um, Are you going to be there, I assume? I am. I'll buy you a coffee. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, look, I'm looking forward to it. It's always a really encouraging time uh, just to see all that God's doing with media. Amen. Well, there's so much to cover here today, and we've been watching this case, and you are on top on top of it as well. And apparently, our uh, Department of Health and Human Services is um, not liking Christians these days in the state of Oregon. Tell us about this case. Yeah, uh, we have an interesting uh, lawsuit on behalf of a Christian couple. They want to be foster parents there in Oregon. Uh, but they've been notified and rejected by the uh, Oregon Department of, of Human Services uh, simply because of their Christian beliefs. Uh, specifically, uh, they are told that they cannot ever refer to uh, homosexuality as a sin. Uh, we're talking not about orientation, we're talking about sex acts as a sin, homosexual sex acts as a sin. Um, so we're not talking about temptation, we're talking about the actual acts of sex in that regard. So uh, because of that, they have been disqualified. And it's not just them. The problem here, Perry, is this is the policy of the state of Oregon. Uh, Christians need not apply. You believe that the Bible is the word of God and you teach accordingly, you believe accordingly, you you don't hide it. Um, You're uh, automatically disqualified based on their policy. Uh, Christian parents, potential foster parents effectively have to lie in order to become a foster parent, which is a a huge crisis because uh, Christian parents, in my opinion, I'm somewhat biased, but in my opinion, make the best foster care parents uh, that are out there. And yet they're being rejected from the beginning, even before you look at a child or the the needs of a child. So there's a couple things in this case. First of all, how how were they asked? Do you know how they how the DHS discovered that they were Christians? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, our our lead counsel in that case, Ray Hackey, is probably the best to give more detailed information uh, on that regard. We do know that they uh, it wasn't just uh, you know an arbitrary you know action. It wasn't just one person. What we're talking about is the policy of the state of Oregon. That's what makes us so alarming and on, is the widespread nature of it. It's not like there's, you know, certain issues of fact that were applicable to this particular couple. No, this is their policy. Uh, and that's why uh, everyone should be concerned in the state of Oregon. And I, for that matter, in other states that may, may wish to adopt similar policies or, or are already uh, practically enforcing those policies without a, a, a formal policy to do so. When diversity and equity and equality are seemingly uh, the big words these days, um, how are you pursuing this case? I mean, is this a violation of that? 
Yeah, this is a violation of the First Amendment of the Constitution, uh, where we're talking about uh, individuals being set apart and discriminated against solely because of their religious beliefs and practices. Uh, you know, there's, you know, you get the government has the burden to show a compelling state interest, narrowly tailored to, you know, to meet those needs, those, those interests, uh, in order to get away with any kind of infringement upon any uh, free exercise of religion. And there's no compelling state interest to deny uh, Christians the ability to be foster care parents. There's nothing statistical to show that uh, kids are somehow worse off uh, more in danger, if you will. Uh, you know, that's now there is some interesting studies actually out of, from the University of Texas uh, psych, uh, psychological department, peer-reviewed studies, validated, double-checked, that do show that actually uh, couples that are uh, homosexual, um, statistically, those children are much more likely uh, to commit suicide, drug use, uh, to drop out of school, and also engage in experimental uh, sexual activity. So. If they want to look at stats, they shouldn't disqualify Christian couples and parents, uh, to say the least. They actually statistically uh, hold up very well. So is this policy just for the Christian faith? Because there are other faiths that don't allow this either. Yeah, that's a very good point. So if, if a couple was, say, Orthodox Jewish or, for that matter, Muslim, um, theoretically, they would also violate these policies and be immediately disqualified because of their traditional values and religious beliefs. This is amazing. So um, how do you proceed on a case like this? Where, how do you go about this? Well, we have filed uh, an administrative complaint. We went through that route, and now we, have, uh, we are appealing the adverse uh, decision, and uh, we're going full steam ahead. And uh, I think that this case uh, is, has a good chance of potentially going to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, the fundamental issue here, it's not issues, issues of fact and, you know, who said what. These are fundamental policies. So these are issues of law that uh, I could see the Supreme Court uh, choosing to take up uh, if the case makes it up that far, if we need to take it that far. But we're going to, we are going to take it that far uh, as far as we can uh, to not just have justice for this couple, uh, but to see a total turnaround in this kind of outrageously, openly bigoted, uh, discriminatory policy against people of faith. So, uh, kind of an obvious question uh, for an answer, but uh, I'll ask it anyway. I mean, the big picture here, Brad, how dangerous is this policy along with other policies that are similar? How precedence, uh, how much of a precedence of danger does this set for our society? It's, it's, it's an extremely dangerous precedent if, if they get away with it. Uh, because make no mistake, other states are going to copy. We don't, California, we already caught California, uh, not formally, but informally uh, applying this uh, in Riverside County. And we caught them on it and they backpedaled. Uh, but we know that's a part of the ideology if, in, in states like California already with regard to social service, social workers. Uh, we had a couple that had to, uh, the Christian couple, they almost lost their two adopted children simply because of the accusation that they had religious beliefs that are traditional with regards to homosexual sex acts and transgenderism, uh, not because of any particular facts of it regarding a child or not of, the, of these two children. Uh, so we already see, we had to go into court to save those kids from being taken. So far we've prevailed, we've got another hearing. So this is spreading, we believe, across the country, particularly in blue states with blue governors. Um, 
And it's just, it's, so it's something that everyone should be very uh, concerned about. And if they live in a red state, they shouldn't take anything for granted. Uh, social workers and individual social service agencies in different counties uh, have a lot of discretion. And if they see anything and with regards to this kind of discrimination, uh, uh, this kind of treatment, they should not hesitate to contact Pacific uh, Justice Institute. We now have offices in 24 states, uh, more than 30 offices in 24 states, uh, coast to coast. Uh, we do all our work without charge. People should definitely contact us immediately if they find themselves in a similar situation. Yeah, because what this seems to be, uh, if, if you look at if there is religious discrimination um, against a couple that wants to adopt a child, let's say it stays in place, then the only other thing left are the... The other families, I mean, it could be any couple, any combination of people, anything could go, become the only people that qualify to adopt a child when so many are in need to be adopted. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, people need to understand that statistically, foster kids already have um, a, a, a high mountain to climb, if you will, statistically. A, a study by the Department of Health and Human Services showed that the outcome for children who are taken from families and put into foster care uh, is so um, adverse, uh, generally speaking, that they said they, this was a, a study, I think it was during the Obama administration, uh, they came out and said that it's better for a child to be in a moderately abusive home, not mildly, but moderately abusive home, uh, than to be put into foster care. Statistically, the child is more likely to thrive and be successful. So we are, they already have a major a hurdle to overcome just being put into foster care and the mental and emotional tearing and, and, and things that are going through, um, future relationships, et cetera. So when we combine that with being put in a home, say, of, of atheists uh, who don't have a, a, a moral foundation uh, or someone that, or, or a relation or a, 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 a couple that has a, a very um, um, liberal and maybe immoral lifestyle, uh, this doesn't. This only makes things even worse and more difficult for these these children who are already traumatized and in need of stability, love, and and clear boundaries of of, of structure. Uh, that is what these children are going to be deprived of. Uh, the stats show that the best parents uh, is when you have a mom and a dad uh, with clear um, religious foundation, morals, boundaries. That's what they get with a Christian family. Yeah. Uh, and they'll be denied that. Well, thank you for taking this case on. Uh, look forward to staying informed with this. This is serious as a heart attack, and I hope that we understand this. Um, I had we, we beginning to get leaks of this here um, in the in the state that this was going on, and I'm so glad that uh, Pacific Justice stepped up and took it because uh, this is going to be a big deal. And our thoughts and prayers are with you. Um, thank you. Anything else going on in, on the West Coast that we should know about? Well, yeah, there's uh, there's you know quite a bit taking place. Uh, uh, we have uh, you know cases with teachers uh, who've been fired because they used the wrong pronoun or they just advocated not to have to use pronouns that violated their conscience. Uh, that litigation is moving full steam ahead. Uh, we have we have a lot going on on the West Coast, needless to say, but we also have a lot taking place uh, on the other side of the, of the coast as well. And so we're very very busy at PJI. Um. I want to get into Texas, but I'll do that on the other side of the break. Let, let me ask you this real quick. Uh, on that particular uh, challenge where a teacher 
by not using the proper pronoun or the pronoun requested by the student. Is that, what, what rule does that violate? Is that, is, is that a state education policy? What, who are they violating by this? And what they're violating is Title VII uh, of the Civil Rights Act, federal, federal civil rights statute. And what it requires um, is that there be a reasonable accommodation for sincerely held religious beliefs and uh, absent an undue burden or hardship. Well, this case involves two teachers just themselves on the internet believe. Um, because of that, they were fired. And the fact they said it's wrong to, uh, to affirm confusion in children by using pronouns, and that was their beliefs. They didn't have any actual kids in, the, in a classroom. They just said on the online, that was what their beliefs are. They were tracked down. They were fired. We got their jobs back, but now we're suing uh, for lost income. But we have these cases popping up all over the country, Perry, all over the country, uh, people being fired and purged because of pronoun and not willing to uh, contribute to a lie and confusion, which someone with a loving and caring heart uh, would never want to do for a child, much less even an adult. And yet we see this as a part of the purging technique of people of faith in the workplace. And we're very uh, on top of these. I think we have more Title VII cases uh, like this uh, than any organization across the country by far. So is the issue here Brad, that a student can demand a teacher to address them by the pronoun and not their name? Yeah, a student depends on the policies of the state. Um, I'd say in the state of Florida or Texas, they're not going to get very far. A teacher's not going to lose their job for not lying uh, or, or deceiving or much less lying to parents uh, and using the wrong pronoun. Uh, so I don't think that's, uh, but in some states, you're going to see this happen uh, more and more. Uh, this kind of these kind of intimidation tactics. We at Pacific Justice Institute uh, give counsel to to teachers uh, in this situation. There's a number of different uh, left and right turns they can use, or they can hit it on directly, and uh, and simply just flat out refuse. They use, for example, they use the last name of the children in the classroom. Uh, that's one way around it. There's a different ways of, of mitigating conflict and still not compromising faith. Um, but a school district cannot require a teacher. Uh, to have to use pronouns uh, that are are lies and are deceptive and are affirming confusion, and most specifically, that violate the sincerely held religious beliefs and convictions of, of teachers. Uh, and if they do, uh, and they do do these kind of mandates, then they can expect to be challenged in court, and we will take them uh, as far and as long as we need to until we have justice for those teachers. All right, let me take a break here because the other, the other part of this equation that is so interesting, what is happening overall to parents' rights? I mean, here in the state of Oregon, we have a piece of legislation that's going through right now that could go all the way down and affect uh, and impact 10-year-olds on abortion. Uh, we already have 15-year-olds that can go through trans, uh, gender uh, transitioning and the parents don't have to be notified. Uh, all of this... So it looks yes. like the parents are slowly being squeezed out. So I want you to talk about that. Pacificjustice.org. That's Brad's website. There's a picture of the landing page for those of you watching on the Dub television network. If you're listening on the radio network, just remember pacificjustice.org. Check it out and support them. We'll be right back. 
We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. Honored to have with us Brad Dacus, uh, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, PJI. And let me say to our viewers and listeners, uh, Brad and his team, uh, a lot of what they do is pro bono. And um, so I just encourage you to perfectly consider supporting what they do. They're all over the country now, even though they concentrate a lot on the West Coast and they're frontline warriors fighting for our behalf. Uh, so go to pacificjustice.org is their website. Brad, um, before I get off in the weeds here again, let, let me just ask you a quick question. Um, <laughs> this could take the rest of the hour, I don't know. But, <clears throat> you know, the Durham report came out yesterday. And I, from a, an attorney's point and, and your organization, and you have a lot of people uh, working with you, uh, it seemed to implicate a, uh, a very bad problem within the justice and the FBI. Um, even the CIA, that the whole thing, the Russia collusion, was bogus. It, was, it went from an investigation to an operation, probably the best way to describe it. And the Justice Department is basically saying to the FBI, well, we kind of learned from that. We fixed the, we, we kind of plugged those leaks. We fixed that problem. We're moving on. Uh, really? What's your take as an attorney who's in courts all day long? What's your... How do you get solace from this, or do you? I don't. But it's, it's shocking, blatant, indisputable corruption. That's, that's it. That's it. Uh, I was so surprised to see that at the end of the day, that's what this was. It was, it was corruption. It was the Department of Justice and the FBI uh, working together for political uh, outcomes uh, to show disrespect for our election process. Uh, to allow uh, false information, false materials uh, to go forward without any um, an, an investigation and accusations with, with nothing to support it, with insufficient uh, justification to support it. It was not uh, a gray area. It was blatant, white and black corruption and uh, a clear breach of public trust. And so far, I haven't seen one person forced out, one person fired, one person resign. So it tells me that the status quo is continuing. Um, there need to be people fired. There needs to be a, an investigation of the corruption from the top down. And in fact, what makes this even more objectionable is that the decision making, what's involved in this, uh, was not a few, a few people, um, you know, eight or nine levels down from the top that did this. No, this is top down. Uh, this is the, the upper levels of the Department of Justice, the upper levels of the FBI. Uh, where this uh, corrupt actions took place for the express purposes of defeating Donald Trump at, at an election. Uh, it's like a banana republic, um, and people should be extremely alarmed and, and calling for immediate resignations. Unfortunately, the power of the media uh, prevents that, and uh, that kind of 
overt uh, corruption, as we saw on Fox News, for example, uh, and the, the outrageous bias and corruption that we've seen exper experienced through them and the intimidation and leaking information, attacking Tucker Carlson. Um, we just see that we just have a, our, we don't have the, the, the scope in terms of media uh, to really uh, educate the masses and to, uh, to call them to action. And I think that's part of the problem as well. Okay, let me just ask you a, a legal uh, scenario. Let's assume just for a moment that the Judiciary Committee in the Senate holds hearings and the Judiciary Committee in the House holds hearings and starts throwing out subpoenas or bring all these players in and question them and find out that the whole thing was corrupt. Can we do anything about it? I mean, you, those committees can't convict and they're not right. going to convict themselves. At the end of the day, these people walk. Uh, you're, you're correct. Well, we could say that the Department of Justice can bring criminal. Oh, wait a minute. That's right. They're part of it. Uh, the FBI can be. Oh, that's right. They're part of it. So the, the, the real rub here is that the law enforcement agencies that are to uh, to investigate um, corruption and uh, you know fraudulent representations, uh, et cetera, um, they're they're the problem, and they're not going to lift a finger. So we have a very corrupt federal law enforcement operation uh, as we speak. Uh, you know, congressional leader, they can do investigations. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, they, you know, the House could, you know, could add call for an, an uh, potential impeachment proceedings. Uh, uh, you know, but the, the the bottom line though is it's really going to be resolved um, when from the top down. So whoever's in the White House in two, after 2024, whoever that may be, they will have the ability and the authority uh, to clean house, uh, to uh, to expose fully. <laughs> Those uh, who engage in corruption activities uh, for political purposes, um, have them fired, have them exposed, and, and change the process and the accountability process uh, moving forward. Uh, the Department of Justice, in particular, is very powerful and yet has very little transparency. Yeah. That's a major problem with the Department of Justice uh, specifically, and that needs to be uh, cleaned up. Let me ask you this. One last question on this. Uh, it does open the door for civil action. Um, does the former president, can he file civil lawsuits against these players, especially the ones that are outside of the employment of the government now? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, arguably, there is, is no immunity uh, for uh, such actions, um, you know, and, and as far as civilly in terms of, um, you know, making you know, fraudulent uh, representations, uh, fraudulent misrepresentations, uh, you know, that that arguably uh, could be had. See, the, the problem, though, is that uh, we haven't witnessed, I don't believe, in modern-day American history uh, anything like this. Um, so this would be, uh, I think, very, uh, very new. It'd be a, a different, something that we haven't really witnessed and yeah. seen to, you know, play it out. So we'd have to uh, that'd be interesting to see that play out. Uh, you know, maybe counterproductive for the Trump, for Donald Trump and his um, his offices to uh, to go down that road. Uh, it, it could, you know, be more counterproductive and take the focus off the future, which is apparently what the voters uh, want uh, their their candidates to be focusing is on the future and what you're going to do, uh, as opposed to looking backward and uh, in, a, in a past election or past fraud. Yeah. Uh, 
it's in, in, ways, in some ways that's unfortunate because we do need to look backward in, in order to correct things for the future. So, but politically, that just may not be um, maybe too costly for them to move forward on that. At least at this time, maybe the next administration yeah. they might do that. Well, there's much to be said here. I I, I think of your profession and uh, the whole judicial system, the courts. The whole thing's been compromised now. And it goes back to the basic question, who can you trust? You know? Right. Yeah. Let me ask you one other question before I run out of time here. You've been doing some work there in Texas. Uh, you, you, you spoke there at the Texas Senate uh, Committee uh, on education. And uh, they have a bill going through on school choice. And, and I guess it's kind of like a voucher system where the money follows the students. Uh, quite controversial. But there was also a move to put the Ten Commandments back into the schools. Give us an update on that. Yeah, I, I testified uh, before the uh, state's uh, education committee, the Senate Education Committee, and it passed out of that. It passed out of the Senate. Passed out of the uh, House Education Committee uh, for you know for the state, um, and now it's uh, moving to the they understand to the, to the state house completely for a vote as an excellent chance of, of passing. Uh, I testified on the fact that it is constitutional especially in the context of the legislation, which would have it placed next to the Declaration of Independence and also the Constitution. So it's a statement of America's history and heritage, uh, the origin and, and foundation of Western law and, and as we know it, and Western justice as we know it. Um, there's, uh, it's not proselytizing. There's no four spiritual laws tacked to the bottom. Uh, you know. So uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that it's very likely that this Supreme Court that we have now will uphold it as constitutional. That's what I testified on. And I think the American people overall see that in public schools in particular, there's a, a real need for uh, an understanding of where we came from uh, in terms of right and wrong and how we got here. And understanding the Ten Commandments, I think, is, a, is the first step in uh, moving in that direction. Gosh, that would be huge. Absolutely huge. Yeah, um, every classroom, every classroom in every public school in California would be required uh, to post, uh, to have the Ten Commandments as part of that, that posting, which would be, you mean I in, think. You, you mean in Texas, not California, Texas. I mean, excuse me, Texas, Texas, yeah. California, I'm dreaming. Uh, <laughs> you're right. I'm no, dreaming. Yeah, keep yeah. dreaming in California. Well, uh, any thoughts on the school choice thing? Is that looking good? Yeah, it's interesting. It did. This, the state Senate passed excellent language, giving every parent the choice like they have in Florida. But this, the state house in Texas, uh, unfortunately, um, they're trying to water it down. Governor Abbott looks like he's standing his ground. Pray for Governor Ab Abbott to continue to stand his ground. He says he will veto it and he will not release this state legislature until they give him legislation for every child to have that, that option. He, and if he stands his ground, uh, there's a good chance they will, because in Texas, uh, legislators all have jobs. They only meet for six months every two years. Uh, so they need to get back to their businesses, get back to their work. Hopefully that'll uh, give them enough incentive to to do what's right and give the governor what he wants. Uh, otherwise, they're gonna, they may be staying there uh, for quite some time. But uh, let's just hope the governor sticks to his grounds. And also, I, I testified for, for chaplains to be allowed into public schools. Mm. Uh, that's now going to be signed into law. Every public school district in California, excuse me, in Texas, mm -hmm. uh, in Texas, uh, will be able to have paid chaplains brought in. Uh, they cannot proselytize, uh, but they can function like a chaplain, uh, which is, uh, I think, statistically uh, has been tested in Puerto Rico and other places, has proven to be very effective in reducing crime, drugs, teenage pregnancy, suicide, et cetera. 
it's a great move in the right direction, I believe, for the state of Texas. Wonderful. Brad, good to see you, buddy. God bless you, pal, for what you do, you and your team. You guys are wonderful. Let me show to our viewers and listeners, pacificjustice.org is the website and uh, track a lot what they're involved in, support them. Um, they're right here in our own backyard doing a great job. Thank you, Brad. Look forward to seeing you next week, buddy. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at thedove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.